0: Have you ever heard of diet variation? What about the misconceptions regarding fasting and why fasting might be bad for some people? Well, on today's episode, we're gonna take a deep dive into all of that with two special guests, Dr. Daniel Pompa and Dr. Mindy Peltz.
1: in times of autophagy and we need to be in times of feasting. Oddly, it seems like people gravitate to one over the other, right? Meaning like too much feasting (laughs) and they don't fast. Or today in the health space, we have too much autophagy and fasting and (laughs) famine and not enough feasting. So the magic is something I call diet variation. We have to vary our diet. Feast, famine, cycling is a strategy of diet variation where we fast, but we have to remember the feast. And we find ourselves, us, the three of us reminding people, the feast is as important as the fast today.
0: We have access to ancient healing strategies such as ketosis, fasting, and carnivore. And on the KetoCamp podcast, we are determined to deliver the science to you. We bring in the thought leaders in this space to have extraordinary conversations so you could apply it and change your life. Your body was built to thrive. Your body is capable of healing as long as you identify the interference and remove it. I believe you are a masterpiece because you are a piece of the master. My name is Ben Azadi. I'm the best-selling author of Keto Flex, and I want to thank you for spending part of your day with me. Hey, Keto Camper Ben Azadi here, the host of the Keto Camp Podcast. You can learn more about me over at benazadi Today's a very special episode, a brand new episode on the show with two rock stars in the health space, Doctor Daniel Pompa and Doctor Mindy Pels. I always call Doctor Pompa the Goat, the greatest of all time. I also call him the Michael Jordan of health educators. If you're not familiar with his work, you're going to see why he is the best of the best, and we have author of Fast Like a Girl, Dr. Mindy Pels, as well. We're all in the same group, which is Health Centers of the Future Platinum Program. And we study together, work together, do case studies together, mastermind together. And I brought them both on for an amazing conversation Uh, that's really gonna be transformational. So I'm so glad you tuned in today. Here are some of the topics that we cover today. We get into why removing is more important than adding. A lot of people think I need to add this supplement, or this program, or this diet, or whatever it is, this biohacking machine, this biohacking device, which is all great. Don't get me wrong. But it starts off with removing, removing, removing. And we're going to discuss why people who get sick and people who are unhealthy has really little to do with lack of vitamins or nutrition. It has to do with something blocking their innate intelligence. And we'll get into that. We'll get into why having diversity in your gut is so important for the gut microbiome and for your health and for your results and why fasting is one of the best ways to stress your gut and change the diversity, increase your diversity, along with something called diet variation, which is changing the foods you eat, rotating it. We'll get into some different strategies on how to do that. And of course, we'll take a deep dive into fasting and why studies that show fasting doesn't work some of the flaws with those studies and how fasting gets rid of bad cells that contain faulty DNA, how fasting gets rid of senescent cells, aka zombie cells that live too long and recreate other bad boys out there and how to deal with that. We'll get into the opposite of fasting, which is a pathway called mTOR and why you want to balance out mTOR and autophagy. We'll get into the concept or premise, we should say, of hormesis, which is stress in a positive way. Remember this. Stress is only bad when your body does not adapt to stress. But when your body does adapt to stress, it could be a game changer for becoming healthier, stronger, more resilient. For example, fasting is a stress to your body. Cold exposure, cold therapy, cryotherapy, cold plunging, stress to your body. Red light therapy, stress to your body. Sunshine, stress to your body. Exercise, stress to your body. But are those bad stressors? Yeah, if you do too much, but are they beneficial? Yeah, at the right dose. And you'll hear all about that. We'll get into the relationship between glucose and ketones, what to look for when you're fasting, how ketosis is a stress to the mitochondria in a good way to make more robust mitochondria. We'll talk about genes being triggered for disease via epigenetics and how that works, what to do about that. If you're, uh, let's say you have cancer that runs in the family or autoimmune, how do you prevent that? Because that does not mean it's in your future. We'll talk about the role of keto flexing, aka metabolic flexibility. We'll get into some different principles for women to do it the right way. When I say the right way, I mean keto and fasting the right way versus men. And then there's a special Q&A portion at the end with some fantastic questions. So I am so excited for today's episode. The video version of today's episode and all episodes can be found on our YouTube channel, which is youtube.com ketocamp if you want to watch that interview as well. Before I bring them on, let's get to today's Apple Podcast rating and review of the day from AE, titled Top Notch. Five-star review. Here is what AE wrote. Ben knows his stuff and he interviews guests effectively. I've been around the keto world for more than five years and I still listen to Ben and I watch his YouTube channel to learn info and stay motivated. I'm pretty picky about which podcast I subscribe to since I've listened to so many Over the years Ben prepares really well for his interviews and his content is always well presented his productions are consistently high quality that is awesome I'm so glad you noticed that we put a lot of energy and emphasis and bandwidth into the production and quality of our interviews thank you so much for noticing that and listening or watching the YouTube channels as well we are honored that you chose us out of all the options out there I know there's a ton and we appreciate you listening to the show. So thank you so much. If you have not left the Keto Camp Podcast a rating and review, please do so on whatever platform you're listening from right now. And maybe I'll read your review on the next episode. All right. You ready for an incredible conversation with Dr. Mindy and Dr. Pompa? Here we go. So I have a special guests, And uh, Dr. Pompa, you're going to like these photos. I went into my phone this morning and looked at some photos of me, Mindy, and Pompa Traveling the world, the last few years, it's been such a highlight of my life and an honor to be able to work alongside these individuals. So you can see photos from Mexico, New York City, uh, a recent lecture we did at the Live With the Lead it seminar in Utah, and uh, another seminar in Utah, Las Vegas, Orlando. So it's been pretty cool to travel with these individuals. I'm going to give them a proper intro. Before I do, I just want to play something for you real quick. Only 12% of American adults are metabolically healthy. It's pretty rare to die from diabetes. It's not the diabetes that are killing all these people. It doesn't matter if you're black, you're white, you're from a different country. It doesn't matter what your circumstances are, your symptoms are. If you got the combination, you unlock the
1: code. It means that you have to find what your body's balance means, right? From these wavelengths creates this amazing hormonal response in the body, it's more than just vitamin D. It affects cholesterol sulfate, which is impacts your hormones greatly. How do we really create diversity? We have to stress. But when you
2: eat a, something that's very high in fat, it kills hunger, it stabilizes your blood sugar, and it makes it so that you can go longer and your body starts to make this metabolic switch around 13 hours.
0: Pretty epic video. So, I'm blessed to work alongside these two individuals. They have two incredible books. So, Dr. Pomp, you're gonna like this The Original Beyond Fasting. (laughs) The original. It's a different cover now. So this is a great book on understanding fasting, feast famine principles. We'll talk about that today. Alina's gonna drop a link for you to get this book right now. And then this brand new book, this beautiful thing right here called Fast Like a Girl, Dr. Mindy. (laughs) Helps. This book is available. It is flying off the shelf. It is selling so many copies and helping so many people. This is available. uh, We'll give you a link down below in the live stream chat. It's also available on Audible Paperback and all that good stuff. So, Dr. Pampa is my mentor. He is, I, I mentioned yesterday, he's the GOAT, right? It's like having, imagine this was like a basketball scrimmage and I was able to get Michael Jordan to show you how to play basketball this is very similar because it's a health scrimmage a health session and i'm bringing the michael jordan of health educators on here dr pampa to teach you about health and then we have mindy who is the leading authority on women's hormonal health i've learned so much from mindy understanding a woman's cycle postmenopausal women and guys watching this don't be discounted we always say this you have women in your life who have hormones obviously and you have relations relationships with them and if you could understand their hormones better, you will have a better relationship with them. So I hope you're excited. I hope you have your pen and paper. Here are our two guests, Dr. Mindy and Dr. Pampa. Welcome, you two.
2: <laughs> I, I just want to say that if he gets to be Michael Jordan, can I be the Serena Williams of.
0: <laughs> Absolutely, you can. So we got Michael Jordan and Serena Williams. And Dr. <laughs> can we just Pompa...
2: pretend we that for a moment?
0: <laughs> <laughs> Let's do that. I'm good with that. Dr. Pompa's in you here in Mexico, right? Thank you for joining from Mexico.
1: Yeah, yeah, here in beautiful Cabo, Mexico. So yeah, I, I love it here.
0: I love that you are so committed to join us while you're there. Thank you so much. So here, here's why I want to start the conversation. We were at dinner uh, in New York City uh, last September for a Keto Symposium. We were having dinner, recorded a video, and I recorded you and Mindy, and I asked the question, like, what is the one thing we can do to... Clear out all the confusion and the clutter out there when it comes to different diets and supplements and programs and detoxes and all. And you said something really enlightening, Dr. Pompa. You said it's not really about adding more things in, it's really about removing. I want you to talk about that. And then, Mindy, you said it's also about believing you can heal. So, Dr. Pompa, if you could start the conversation on what you said then and why that's so important to understand.
1: Yeah, I think, especially in the health space, right? Everyone gets focused on the minutia of what vitamin, right? Macros, micros, I mean, all of it, right? I mean, all of the focus seems to go there. What product should I take? What cream? When really, it's about what you don't put into your body, or what you have to remove, that's creating interference in your innate intelligence of healing itself. Look, I mean, I've helped people all around the world for many, many years with unexplainable illnesses, trying to get their lives back. And they have done all of the supplements. They've done all the vitamins from IVs to products, right? And they're still searching. Well, how do I help them? I figure out what they haven't removed, uh, what's blocking their innate intelligence. That's the key, right? You hear me talk about it all the time. When you really look at why people are getting sick today, it has very little to do with the lack of vitamins or nutrition. It really does. It has more to do what's causing the disruption in their health and and really not allowing their body to heal.
0: So good. We'll talk a little bit more about that. And then what about the aspect, Mindy, of what you said, you got to actually believe the body was built to heal itself and go into it with that belief.
2: Yeah. And honestly, I think this is why I love fasting is that we can tell you to believe in your body. We can tell you your body heals itself, but you're going to have to have an experience with that to completely shift your perspective. And, you know, to Pampa's point, it's like what most people don't realize is that they've been in a healthcare system that has completely taken their own belief in their body away from them. And so we have a symptom and we're completely lost. We assume that there's something wrong going on in the body and we need to medicate or supplement to get it to go away. But nobody speaks the language of the body. Nobody understands like exactly how powerful this vessel is that we live in so i think when we start the health conversation it's a combination of what you know both dan and i are saying which is let's believe in the body again and stop looking outside yourself the answer is not going to be in an exogenous source the answer is going to be in you understanding the language of your own body
0: mm, amen to that and when you really understand that and believe that it's just so powerful because The body was built and created to be self-healing. And we've been brainwashed to believe that a symptom or a diagnosis or a disease is evil. And we need to like hate it and get rid of it and fight the war against cancer or whatever kind of negative thinking towards that. But it's actually a beautiful gift from the innate intelligence to show you there's interference. The body is out of homeostasis. We're not going to mask that or chase the symptoms we're going to figure out what is interfering. And that's exactly what both of you are speaking about. One of the big interferences, especially in America, but across the world is eating too frequently and the glucose and insulin spikes. And we had Dr. Boz on yesterday, who Mindy, I know you adore. Love her. I yeah, love And her. she did a great job explaining what sugar does to destroy our cells and create insulin resistance. But I want to take it step a step further because this is day four of the challenge, just to kind of give you both a recap. And mm. We haven't really dove deep yet into fasting. And I want to start the conversation there with why fasting could be a simple, easy, effective way, free way to actually remove interference and let the body then tap into the innate intelligence. So I'll, we'll start with Dr. Pampa, and then we'll get it to you, Mindy. But Dr. Pampa, please share how you discovered fasting and then why it's such a powerful ancient healing strategy.
1: Yeah, you know, it was all the way back in the 90s, oddly. That, that dates me, I know. But I was still into fasting. I, I literally traveled around and I would spend time in fasting clinics observing. Just I wanted to see people who were fasting for literally months, oftentimes, on end. And I wanted to find out everything that these people that fasted that many people knew. Of course, I read all Herbert, Herbert Shelton's books and, and others, fascinated with it. I started fasting people back then, and and it was remarkable because you harness that innate intelligence, right? Now, back then, you have to imagine, we didn't know what we know today, right? The word autophagy wasn't on the map back then. But what we did know is that when you put someone in a fasting state, magic happens, especially around day four of a fast, Mm -hmm. right? And, And that was just kind of this odd number that I said, okay, if we go one more day, then we have even more healing because people kind of break through a fast, right? And oftentimes, I'd even fast people beyond five days back then, even more extended fast. What we know today is these five-day fasts, there's magic to the number. There's been multiple studies now showing that you have a maximum growth hormone rise around day five. Max autophagy happens for most people around day four, right? So, I just fell into fasting people for these five-day fasts only to find out, well, there was science around it, only to find out now there was science around this autophagy thing and why people are getting well, because you're basically getting rid of all these bad cells that carry bad DNA. And there's a lot of talk about COVID, post-COVID, people sick after COVID, and the treatments of COVID still sick. And we know fasting now is getting more attention because it gets rid of the spike protein and the damaged DNA that often keep people sick are creating new problems, right? So fasting gets rid of bad cells. The best part about it is it doesn't just get rid of these, what we call senescent cells, cells that live too long. It recreates a new one by stimulating a stem cell. So it's a way of getting rid of the bad and creating the new. And God designed our bodies like that. I believe every healthy culture, every human is meant to fast. But today, we're always typically in a state of feast. <laughs> so plenty. So that's just one benefit of fasting. Obviously, there's more.
0: Yeah, we'll get into more for sure. Yeah, it's it's one of the best ways to harness the innate intelligence. And Mindy, I know, I know your backstory and how you discovered fasting actually to kind of your detriment because it was a little bit extreme. So maybe you could talk about that and then how you view this amazing ancient healing strategy and how you teach it to your uh, your students and everybody in your courses.
2: Yeah, you know what, I actually want to build upon what Dan just said, because it's really interesting when we think about getting rid of these senescent cells. In these cells are not just toxins, they're not just, you know, possibly going to turn into cancer cells, they're not just speeding up the aging process, but Bruce Lipton taught us that in these cells exists a thought pattern, And so when you put yourself in a fasted state and you're trying to, you know, those of us that are in this growth mindset and we're trying to get rid of some of the traumas from our body and we're trying to re-pattern the way we think, there's no better tool than fasting to do that because you're getting rid of these cells that not only are inflamed, but they have those old thoughts that you no longer want to think. Mm. They have the traumas stored in them. So we, I think we have to look even bigger than just the physical part of this. We've got to look at the mental health part of this. So I just want, I wanted to point that out. Yeah. And then, yeah, I mean, this, my story, the short version of it is once I, you know, we learned fasting from Dr. Pompa and we, you know, I think all of us here, uh, the three of us have a bit of an obsessive mindset. So yeah. it's like, I was like, if a little bit's good. whole lot's gonna be better and so I fasted and fasted and fasted and then I started noticing like really anxious my I was 45 at the time I'm like I'm 53 now like my period stopped like my hair is thinning like I'm not sleeping like there were so many things going wrong and so I ran a, a Dutch test on myself and and Pompa looked at me and said girl, you got to eat. What are you doing? You are fasting too much. And so that's when I came up with the formula that I wrote about in the book of how women should move in and out of fast. But yes, I learned it through through, the, through myself. I suffered first to help everybody else not
1: suffer. Let me point out, not just women, all humans should move right. in and out, right? As we discussed the autophagy pathway, right? Very important to get rid of bad cells that, that creates very good health. However, you stay in that pathway, you end up in a catabolic state. It's not good. And today, I walk around, especially now that fasting is in vogue, I walk around a lot of these seminars that we teach at, and I can see them a mile away, that they're fasting too much. Daily fasting, I mean, who knows You know what types yeah. of fasting they're doing. Extended fasting, but they're fasting too much. I find myself now preaching more about the other pathway, which is called mTOR. An mTOR pathway is an anabolic pathway. It's a building pathway that we all need, right? So male, female, we all need to be in times of autophagy and we need to be in times of feasting, oddly it seems like people gravitate to one over the other, right? Meaning like too much feasting (laughs) and they don't fast. Or today in the health space, we have too much autophagy and fasting and famine and not enough feasting. So the magic is something I call diet variation. We have to vary our diet. Feast, famine, cycling is a strategy of diet variation where we fast, but we have to remember the feast. And we find ourselves, us, the three of us reminding people, The feast is as important as the fast today.
0: You're right. In the health space, we see people who are doing too much fasting, too much autophagy. In the general population, we see the opposite. They're too much in a fed state. And the magic is in kind of finding that nice sweet spot, which is what essentially hormesis is. And I want to get into hormesis in a minute. But what essentially happened to you, many in the beginning, you violated the principle of hormesis, right? You did too much and that benefit went away, which we'll get into. So I do want to talk about hormesis, but I do remember, Dr. Pompa, I think it was 1995 where a patient of yours who had cancer was going from conventional treatment to conventional treatment. They essentially said, there's nothing we can do for you. And then she discovered you and something happened where you told her to go on a long fast. Could you share that story and what happened to her cancer?
1: Yeah, so she had large tumor and kind of bouncing, like you said, in in and out of treatments where it was growing back, not working long term. I literally at that time was obviously just fresh into fasting, if you will. So I was very excited about it, and I told her, "Hey, look, I was at clinics where they're shrinking these tumors with fasting. You need to read this book." And I, I think I gave her a book of Joel Furman's book, and then she read that. Then I think I gave her a Shelton book, but. Um, she said, yeah, I'm, I'm ready. I'm doing a fast, and I've already been in it for two days. <laughs> so she literally walked to my clinic already fasting. And she ended up going about 26 uh, some days. It might have been like 26 and a half, as I remember it. But the tumor went from this big all the way down to about a golf ball. And then she broke her fast. There's signs to when you break a long extended fast like that. No, no granted, not everybody should or can Fast that long, body weight does play some role in that. You know, she definitely was well overweight and could easily do that. And we had her doctor monitoring her blood work too. And anyway, she broke her fast, and then she broke it for two or three months, and then she fasted again to successfully, you know, bring it all the way down. So yeah, I mean, when you have that kind of experience right out of the gate, my wife had her own experience. Uh, She left doctor's office saying she had stage four, basically dysplasia in her uterus and they wanted to remove it and they basically said if it's not cancer yet we think it will be so it was basically it had to come out and we left there and i said we're gonna do this first (laughs) so uh she never did and he said you'll be back because i i we opted out and we never went back and all her tests ended up normal after she did about a 13 day fast or maybe it was 12 days somewhere in there but bottom line is is that fixed itself the body can heal itself and it does get rid of bad cells so having those two personal experiences you can see you know why reading one thing researching is another but you know seeing it and experiencing it in your own life is you know quite a different story
0: incredible. Yeah, perfect example of the body remove the interference and it goes to heal. So let's talk about hormesis. What exactly does hormesis mean Dr. Pampa and how can the challenge students here understand it so they could start applying it in a way that their body is getting the benefits of hormesis.
1: Yeah, and I think if we ask the question here, you know, is stress good or bad? I think, you know, everyone would jump on and, and immediately type in the word bad, right? Which can be true, right? So But the fact is, is stress can be also extremely good. As a matter of fact, uh, without a certain level of stress, we all get sick. So think of exercise as a stress. When you stress your body with exercise, you don't get stronger in the gym. You get stronger from the adaptation of the stress of exercise. And that means you have this hormonal optimization that occurs, your body heals, and you become stronger and better. Now, if you don't, adapt to that stress, you actually become weaker. And many people do that, right? In the 1980s, we had the aerobics instructors doing you know, 20, 30 classes a week, and you saw a certain look. They were doing too much. They weren't adapting, right? And of course, that, that happens all the time. So we think of fasting no different. It is It is a stress. If you adapt, it's wonderful. If you don't, then not so good. That's why partial fasting sometimes is the appropriate fast for people starting out, Right, where you just diminish calories and protein because it's less of a stress and you can actually get more autophagy. Because if you just simply water fast everybody, you'll find that some do really well and others don't. That's the premise of hormesis. If some exercise, like our friend Ben Greenfield, you're probably not going to get a good response right? You're going to get weaker, not stronger. But if you exercise you know, moderately, you'll adapt and you'll get stronger. So the premise of hormesis is the adaptation of stress where you become stronger, right? And that's the key. And most people will either not stress enough and not get an adaptation or they continue the same stress. And if we use the example of exercise, what worked in the beginning where you start exercising again and you get great results Well, your body adapts, and then it becomes no longer a stress, so you don't get results anymore. You plateau or diminish. Well, you have to change your exercise, just like we have to change our diet, and then we create a new stress and force the body to adapt again, and we continue to get healthier and better, right? So think of diet change and fasting as stressors that have to change, and we have to adapt. So we can't all fast the same. Cold water baths, everyone wants to go in for three minutes because that's what people do. Well, I can tell you this, that will mess most people up listening more than it will help you. In saunas, same way. I was told to go in for 40 minutes. The the, the answer is maybe, maybe three minutes on the ice bath. All of those are stressors that are positive if you adapt. But the problem is, is all of us have a different adaptation, depending on how much stress you're under already will determine that and how healthy you are. So you have to understand and listen to your body to make sure that it's adapting to the stress you actually benefit, whether it's saunas, cold baths, diet change, or fasting. We cannot apply numbers and rules around any of these. It will be different for all of
0: us. (laughs) Well said. So on the topic of fasting and hormesis, Mindy, what are some signs that you've seen when people are doing too much fasting or violating the principle the body is not adapting to the fasting stress? What are some signs we should pay attention to?
2: Yeah. And let me just say one more thing before I say those signs. I think the easiest way to understand hormesis and what Dan just said is that you, we have to look at fasting as a therapy. It's a therapeutic state. It's a healing state you're putting your body in. So what has happened is it's clumped into the diet sort of category right now. But if you want to work with hormesis, you got to think of like you dip into a fasted state, it's a little uncomfortable. That's okay, a little uncomfortable is not a problem. Then you dip out into food. And then you dip back in and you get a little uncomfortable. So like I see people in here that are are talking about they do 20 hour fast, they do 24. That's all amazing. But remember that you wanna make sure you're always just gently pushing the body right to that edge where it's like, I'm a little uncomfortable right now. I'm gonna have to adapt and become stronger. If we do a 15-hour fast over and over and over again, and we're like, boom, like fasting's easy, eh, it's not working so well for you anymore. That would be like you going to the gym and your trainer gives you the same workout and it's just, it's just easy now. You would be frustrated. You'd be like, wait a second, I pay you to like amp up my workouts. So I think that we can't lose sight of, you know, we want to shy away from pain and in this context, it's therapy. A little bit of pain is therapy. So there's that. But then I would say the biggest things that we see are one, people gaining weight. So all of a sudden they're fasting, 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 and they're like, wait a second, I'm not losing weight anymore. I'm actually gaining weight. Okay. So then you haven't done enough variation. For women, hair falling out, hair thinning. That was what happened to me. A lot, another th- thing for women is they start spotting. So, and if you're in your mid forties, you think it's perimenopause, but I can tell you have, as a 53 year old woman using these principles through my forties, spotting was a sign I was fasting too much. I wasn't raising glucose enough. Trouble sleeping. You're not sleeping as well. You're, all of a sudden you're anxious all the time. These are big things that are showing us that you're not burying your fast enough, especially for a woman.
0: That's good. Yeah. So I hope everybody wrote those down. Pay attention to those signs because it's your innate intelligence giving you some some clues and some check engine lights to show you, hey, something's a little off balance here. You might be doing too much fasting. You need more feasting, like like Mindy needed in the beginning. Hey, when was the last time you bit into a juicy burger or a perfectly cooked steak and thought to yourself, This is the best thing I've ever tasted? If it's been a while, it's probably because most meat products are conventionally raised, which not only affects the flavor profile, but significantly diminishes the beneficial nutrients and minerals. And believe it or not, even products that are labeled as grass-fed or ethically raised To make you think they're high quality, are often finished on grain or in factory farms, which is why I am so excited to share something with you today that will not only help you avoid the hormones, antibiotics, and pesticide residues that diminish the taste of conventionally raised meat, but could also save you nearly $1,000 over the next year on your grocery bill. And the best part, this may be the best tasting thing you've had in a long time. So what the heck am I talking about? Head to the podcast notes down below. Click the link. Enjoy your wild pastures. Okay, let's get right back to this episode. What about uh, Dr. Pampa tracking uh, purposes? So, we talked about Keto Mojo uh, earlier in the week. We talked about getting the machine and looking at glucose and ketones. What are some things they should pay attention to with those glucose and ketone numbers during their fast?
1: Yeah, I talk about it in my book. One way, because people say, well, gosh, you know, how do I know if my 20-hour fast or 18-hour fast is working for me. Uh, Well, what should happen if you're able to test your glucose and ketones, what should happen as you fast, you should see glucose trending down and ketones trending up as really uh, is just um, an obvious sign that you're using fat for energy and your ketones will rise up. Oftentimes, if a fast isn't working, it gets a little tricky because people go, I feel fine. And then we see this glucose trending up and ketones not moving or dropping, that means you could be using muscle as through a process called gluconeogenesis, meaning you break down muscle into glucose and you're using it. So you feel fine because your brain's getting glucose and your body's cells are getting sugar all as well. Well, all as well, but you're using your muscle. So you potentially then are lowering your metabolism, not good. So doing your glucose and ketones first thing in the morning, write them down and then doing them right before your first meal. You should see that trend of glucose trending down and ketones trending up. So, what could throw that off? Well, if you don't do it, if you exercise. I always say pick a day where you don't exercise because exercise changes the numbers up depending on what exercise you do. Obviously, the day you're super stressed out, you get higher glucose and lower ketones. So, you know, scratch that day. You know, you do a few days in a, in a you know random days and take an average. You know, and see how you're doing with that that fast. If you're not doing so good back it up, do less exercise, if you will, (laughs) you know, fast less until your body or your mitochondria, that's where you burn fat. And that's where that adaptation occurs to your mitochondria gets more fit. In my book, I talk about mitochondrial fitness and that fasting diet change. We're stressing the mitochondria. And as you stress it, just like exercise, they get stronger, bad ones, they get taken away through autophagy and uh, apoptosis, they get taken away. Your body will form stronger and stronger mitochondria. What, What does that mean for you? Less brain fog. You burn fat more efficiently, right? Better metabolism, more energy, right? That's a sign that you're building stronger and better mitochondria. And again, the only way to do it is to exercise your mitochondria, just like you would exercise in the gym. And by the way, exercise is another way to exercise your mitochondria. It's stressing them. So we have to start. Ketosis is a stress to your mitochondria. You're forcing it to burn fat for energy and not the lazy, easy way of using sugar, right? But again, too much ketosis, you know, could be too much exercise, too much fasting could be too much exercise. So think of your mitochondria, you know, the key to energy, brain, right? All the things I just mentioned, fat burning, just think about them as you would yourself. We have to exercise them to get them stronger and better and more efficient.
0: Perfectly said. Mindy, anything you want to add to that?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think we it all boils down to that mitochondria and what is it that the mitochondria need. So I feel like, you know, everything that we're talking about here is about using our innate principle of our body to power up these mitochondria. Now, you can do there's a lot of supplementation you can try to take. There's, a, you know, there's a lot of things you can do for those mitochondria, but there's a fuel source that's needed and that's a ketone. And if you can dip in and out of ketones, you can really power up those mitochondria. And once you're powering those up, now everything in your body works better. So, you know, I think like I see even in the chat, people are like asking specific fasting questions. And what's so cool about the body is that when you put it in a fasted state, the body knows what to do. And part of it is getting at these mitochondria and powering these little powerhouses up so that your body can push out toxins out of the cell. It can have the energy to make your day amazing. It can have the energy to make hormones. So, you know, you're putting yourself in a natural state. And the way I look at it is you're kind of saying to the body like, hey, I know that you know better than me. And so I'm going to take food out of the equation so that you can heal because your intelligence is greater than all the doctors put together on the planet. That's how I look. But again, the variation is, is so key. And I think that's what the three of us are really talking about is let's not get stuck in a rut let's keep varying it, which honestly is the hardest thing. People want the black and white answer. They don't want the the flexible answer. And, And like, I don't know if we've talked about this amongst the three of us, but I think the problem we have in healthcare is we're trying to create absolutes for a body that doesn't want absolutes. It's always varying. I mean, look at hormones. I've sat with so many women trying to get their hormones back on track. We get them back on track. And then all of a sudden, boom, a stressor hits them. And now we're all, we're, the hormones are all off again. So we are not an absolute body. We are a, a body that is always adapting to its environment. So we have to get out of this idea that there's one fast, one supplement, one diet, one exercise, one biohack. They're all great in variation.
0: Well said. Amen to that. And we're going to talk a little bit about why it's important to flex in and out of ketosis. But based off what you just shared, it reminded me to pull this up. And I I teach this to a lot of my Keto Camp Academy students. Dr. Pompa, I learned this principle from you, the three-legged stool, right? I'd love for you to... And this is my beautiful three-legged stool. So I put autoimmune at the top, but that could be any symptom, any disease, any diagnosis. Can you talk about how these genes... Are getting triggered
1: for yeah. disease to manifest in the body. Yeah, believe it or not, I mean, in the world today, most doctors still believe, oh, you have a thyroid condition because your mother did or your father or somewhere in the family. And it's really not that simple. Uh, that dogma has absolutely been disproven. What has been proven is something called epigenetics, meaning above your genome. So think about it like, mm-hmm. you know, you have certain genetic. Diseases, maybe one to three percent at best. Diseases that are purely genetic, meaning it's in your hard drive. Think of it that way. Epigenetics is your software; it can be changed, it can be adapted. And so, most diseases is epigenetic. So, is there a genetic component to your thyroid or your diabetes? Yes, there is. But the problem is, is that it's not in the hard drive. Or that's not the problem. That's the good news. It's in your software that can be changed. So, meaning that we have a stressor and whether it be chemical, uh, there are all the different things we're talking about dietarily, the stressor can turn on or trigger a gene. We all have, and that's you know that's the middle leg there, if you will, that he's pointing at. That's the stressor that can trigger that gene. So yes, your gene got triggered, but what we don't hear enough about is that it can be turned off. It was turned on, it can be turned off, and that is the science of epigenetics. So you're not doomed. Your DNA is not your destiny. How many years ago was it? was that Time Magazine article, right? Your DNA is not your destiny, like newsflash. Doctors quit saying it. It's simply not true. You can change it. But part of your protocol, part of what you're doing should be absolutely doing things that we know turn off that DNA. Fasting is one of them. Ketosis is another one. We know in these times of forced stress, if you will, therapeutic stress that we can apply to a human, we can actually downregulate that gene. Now, again, it may not happen in one fast. We're, we're believers in periodic fasting to you know, and diet change to turn off the genes, but it's one of the strategy. If you're loaded with toxins, you all know that that's what I preach and teach is my cellular detox, because if you don't get rid of that stress, then you won't turn off the gene. right? So very important to get rid of the stressors, physically, chemically, and emotionally, and then we have a chance through these strategies to turn off the gene. There's one more leg that we've heard a lot about there, and that is the microbiome, the gut, and it's these bacteria, which really have more effect on our cells throughout our body than just about anything, it plays a big role, and it's why people are getting sick. It's why we're seeing so many thyroid conditions and autoimmune conditions and even diabetes. Well, we have to look at what we can do to correct it. Everything that you just heard us talking about, diet variation and fasting, creates a stress on the microbiome. Okay, we talked about it. Now we're right back to hormesis because you would say to me or Ben or Mindy, how do I get a better gut? How do I fix my gut? Well, you create more biodiversity in the gut, right? We create more microbiome diversity in the gut And that leads to better immune system, better brain, better health all around. How do you do that? Do I just take probiotics? Not so simple, right? No, we have to create a stress and then we create increased diversity. That's what the science shows. We do that through diet change. If you're staying on the same diet all the time, you will absolutely do the opposite. You will create and minimize your diversity. You know, monoculture, right? Not good, right? By feasting and famine, we create a stress on the microbiome. we create diversity. So if we create the diversity and we take the stressors away, we can change the genome. That stool is why people get sick. And it's also the answer of how I've been teaching for many years, we get them well.
0: Yeah. So just to recap what you said there, these three legs all need to be sturdy in order for those genes that were turned on, those bad genes to be turned off. Like Dr. Pompa said, if something turned on the gene it would make sense that something could turn off the gene. And uh, Dr. Bruce Lipton, he believes that 99% of just about every disease out there is epigenetics, meaning under your control, lifestyle decisions and behavior. So the middle leg, stressors, I put stress there, Mm -hmm. three different types of stressors, mental, emotional. So we talk a lot about vitamin G and uh, gratitude and living on purpose with your purpose and doing fasting to get rid of those trapped, uh, whatever it is, traumas but also chemical stress, which is the toxicity component. On Monday, session one, I showed that study with uh, the agouti gene, and I showed how that BPA turned on the obesity in one mice and then not in the other, right? Identical mice, right? Perfect example of epigenetics. And then physical stressors, for example, an injury, a car accident, a concussion, et cetera. Then you have the gut microbiome, and that's where we use these ancient healing strategies, keto, going in and out of ketosis. I call it keto flexing fasting strategies, which I want to get to that. But Mindy, anything you want to add to this conversation and how you use this with your patients?
2: I think the microbiome piece is really, really important because I just haven't seen a tool that works as well as fasting to change the microbiome. And let me expand on why that works. Well, we know from science, and this is mouse studies, that 24 hours of fasting can start to reboot or start to make intestinal stem cells. So now that's in a mouse. It may come a little bit quicker for us, especially those of us that are fat adapted. But what that means is that that thin mucosal lining, that, that leaky gut situation that so many people are experiencing, I mean, Stephen Gundry's whole last book, the last couple of books, The Energy Paradox was the big one where he really talked about how that the root of energy depletion is this leaky gut situation. Throw a 24-hour fast at it, and you're going to start to see that lining repair. Then the second thing that we're seeing is that that whole terrain inside the gut changes. So there's something called microbial geographical diversity, meaning that what happens to the microbes in the gut is they start to clump together. And in that clumping, they no longer become good at pulling nutrients out of the food our foods. And so when we put ourselves into these fasted states of all different lengths, we start to encourage those microbes to spread out and they can actually absorb more nutrients from your food. Hmm. So when we're looking at that three-legged stool, the microbiome is like our door into a better microbiome comes through the door of fasting. Then on top of that, to Pampa's point, when we're looking at monoculture, and I know I fall prey to this all the time is you, we just eat the same foods over and over and over yeah. again. And what we're doing is we're, it's like taking a select group of bacteria and saying, hey, I'm just going to feed you and I'm, I'm going to starve the rest of, one of them out. Well, you need that bacteria for your immune system, for neurotransmitters. There's a whole set of bacteria that break estrogen down. You need diversity. Yeah. So one of the things that I I've started doing, and I think you guys do the same, is I make it a rule every time I sit down at a restaurant, I order what is the most unique thing on the menu. So if there's duck, and I don't normally cook duck at my house, I'm gonna order that. But I'm always looking for, okay, how do I feed a diverse group of, of bacteria? And then I use fasting to create this terrain that when I am feeding these bacteria, those bacteria are going to flourish. And over time, that's a key piece to that one leg of the stool.
0: Mm, so good. Great tip about the restaurant, right? Try new foods. Just make sure yeah. it's not cooked in vegetable oils, of course, but try yeah. new foods.
2: I actually, the other day I went to a restaurant and I tried beef tongue for the first time. Everybody How was had that? Beef I was a little scared. I'm not going to lie. I was like, <laughs> I don't like anything about this. But it was actually really good. It was really tender. It was really yummy. And God only knows what kind of nutrients I got.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I love it. So, You know, we're day four of this challenge and we've spoken about the incredible benefits of ketones and what it does to lower insulin, what it does to create healthier, more more robust mitochondria, to produce more energy and lower free radicals at the same time. So we love keto. Keto is a fantastic tool, an ancient healing strategy. However, based off the principle of hormesis, we don't stay in ketosis forever. And this is a little bit of a A slippery slope, especially in our space, because people who are in the keto space and love keto, most of them teach to be in ketosis forever. And we have some people we respect and love who teach that. Then we have us who believe it's more of diet variation. Dr. Pompa has coined that, diet variation. It's about changing the foods, going in and out of ketosis. So I would love for you to both talk about why it is important not to stay in ketosis forever and why the ultimate goal is metabolic flexibility. And we'll start with you, Dr. Pompa.
1: Yeah, I mean, look, if if you look at the science around it, I, I believe it's very strong. However, let's look at ancient cultures. None of them stayed in the state. The moment they had carbohydrates, they started eating them. Who wouldn't, right? So they would just come out of a hard winter, the American Indians, or again, you could look at any culture or tribe, and spring would come and bring berries and different things. And man, they went right after it. And of course, they started changing their diet rapidly after that. So there's a time for ketosis. I I love, Ben, you always remind people that it's not a diet, (laughs) it's a state, right? It's like, so therefore we have to stop treating it like a diet, right? Ketosis, I believe, you know, we are all meant to go through times of ketosis and it is extremely healthy as, you know, we were already pointing out, but staying in any one diet, so we're not even picking on ketosis, staying in any one diet too long creates absolute monoculturing the lack of microbiome diversity and it creates other problems as we know right so we could pick on the vegans the vegetarians and you know any one diet and say if you've been on that diet for too long eventually you will start to create health problems yeah genetics will determine how long that would be right but ketosis absolutely no different strong benefits with using the stress of ketosis but strong negatives when you stay in it
0: Mm, so good, yeah. It's a metabolic state. It's exactly what it is, and we're designed. We are hardwired to use ketones as an energy source, just not all the time. To use it when we need to, and then to flex out and then use uh, sugar. Those two different, Mindy, you call it metabolic switching, right? So, Mindy, what as it relates to women, right? Because that's kind of your area of expertise. Well, everything is your, your Serena Williams, but <laughs> women's hormones. What does long-term ketosis do to cycling women hormones, and then postmenopausal women as well?
2: Yeah. Again, like I, everything that Dan's saying, I'm like, that's so good. I want to, I, I have a point on that. This is the, and, and just Please. so you all know, if you, if you sat down to dinner with us, this is how we would talk. <laughs> right? It's just the way we are. Um, the, you know what, to your point, Dan, like, this is why I think every diet has failed every single person, mm. because they go on the diet and they're like, oh my God, this is the miracle diet. Look at all the weight I lost. And then all of a sudden, they're like, that diet sucked. Now, oh, my friend went on another diet. Let me go over to that diet. And so we are going to keep like killing ourselves trying to find the hot new diet until we embrace this idea of variation. It, it, we have to vary. So I, I just had to- yeah,
1: It up. creates the, the fads, right? Doesn't it? Yeah. It's, it's always a new diet that's uh, you know in vogue, if you will. Yes. And you can go through history and just watch it. And this is why this is why
2: everybody's just frustrated right?
1: and everybody gets results on the new diet. Like, (laughs) Oh, this is just so wonderful. And they have all these weight loss proofs and this and that it's like, and and then here's the problem, right? Is now here we are a year, two years, three years later, and they have new challenges and they don't associate with the diet because the diet helped them so much. Mm -hmm. Right. But yet it, could be, in fact, the diet most likely it is.
2: Yeah, yeah, it's, it's so good. So anyways, there's so much to say on that. But on, through the lens of women, I think the easiest way to understand why you don't stay in keto all the time is that you've got to look at what the needs of our sex hormones are. So in men, the primary sex hormone that drives you is, is testosterone. Testosterone goes up into the brain and converts into estrogen testosterone loves fasting. Testosterone thrives with a lower, like a more of a keto diet. You still have to vary it, but you're really, you're moving your, your hormonal target is like this one sex hormone. Women, we have three sex hormones. They're all made from our ovaries. And then once we go into menopause, they they come from our peripheral tissues and our, our adrenals with estrogen and progesterone. What I always like to say is think of them like twin sisters. They look exactly the same, but they have vastly different personalities. So for simplicity's sake, if you're a cycling woman, estrogen's coming in in the beginning of your cycle, and estrogen does great with keto. Estrogen is super forgiving of cortisol. So you can really balance estrogen out by fasting and keto um, and putting yourself in these more stressed, hormetic stressor states. Progesterone, not at all she's completely the opposite. She doesn't want cortisol to rise and she needs you to bring glucose up. So when we get to the back half of our cycle, now we have to go completely different than what we did in the first half of our cycle, which is really confusing for the woman who is like trying to figure out, like, wait a second, I thought I was supposed to do this diet. And it's like no, you're supposed. There's like literally one diet for estrogen, one diet for progesterone, and you're gonna. And in the book, I I name those two diets out, and you're gonna have to learn how to come in and out of those two diets so you can pacify the needs of these two hormones.
0: You explain it so well, Mindy. Uh, you know, the twin sisters with different personalities—such a great illustration of progesterone and estrogen. I love, I love how you just lay it out there. So easy to understand. So you mentioned cycling women should understand their cycle and you talk about that, you show it in the book. So go get the book fastlikeagirl.com, right? Mindy Fast Like a Girl. Yep. Yep. And and postmenopausal women, what should their main focus be now that the adrenals need to pick up more weight, pick up the slack? What should they be focusing on now?
2: Yeah. So, you know, in general I think in the in the fasting world we've been saying well postmenopausal women can fast more like men. But, you know, I'm going to actually say that that's erroneous that we still when we're in our postmenopausal years, we still have these three hormones we have to think about. So, where a man might be able to do like a 511 weekly variation, I feel like postmenopausal women, we need like two days to step. If you're going to go on a weekly calendar, you need two days to step out of a fasted state to be able to pacify progesterone. So you're going to need to step out of fasted state a little bit more. So you could do a, what I call a, you know, more of like a four, two, one. And the way that would look is four days of a comfortable fast, two days of no fasting and one day of a longer fast. So that would be like a really good weekly variation. But for what we did in the book is I put a 30-day fasting reset where you can go in a 30-day cycle and you just start on day one and go all the way 30 days through. And for the post-menopausal woman, you'll be pacifying all the needs of your hormones. And one of the things that I'm really trying to, to get out to the world is women have to get off the weekly schedule, whether it's working out, whether it's what you do diet wise, like we need to start thinking in terms of 30 day cycles, 28 day cycles, even the postmenopausal woman, because she's been tuning her body to a 28, 30 day cycle for decades. And just because she doesn't have a cycle that, you know, gives her a period once a month, she still is in tune with more of a monthly cycle. And honestly, we're, you know, not to get too woo woo, but we're really working in my community of taking the postmenopausal women and teaching them how to build a lifestyle around the moon cycle. Because if we look at the moon cycle, if we didn't have blue light coming in at us all the time, and we were able to get outside into the light a lot more, most women would ovulate during a full moon and they would start their cycle at a new moon. And wow. there's a tr- ton of research on this, and there's a lot of really interesting stories. So we're experimenting now with teaching postmenopausal women how do we how do we live a life according to, to the moon cycle, and um, that's that's the new the new the new hack we're creating. So stay tuned.
0: Yeah, wonderful. And just to clarify, the you mentioned like a four two one where there's two days where you're not fasting. Also not doing keto, you're stepping out right. of keto. Ste- right,
2: you're raising, you're stepping I, out of keto. Yeah, I yeah. just
0: wanted to clarify that. Yeah. And, and yeah, you're feasting, exactly. You're getting yeah. tour. If you watch any of my videos on social media, you always see me with glasses on. And I always get the question, hey, why are you wearing those glasses? These are called blue light blocking glasses. And I wear them to protect my brain and my focus. You see, we are bombarded with stimulation, especially with junk light from your computer screen, your phone, fluorescent lights, and the brain has to filter that out. These glasses, what they do is they filter out those lights for you so your brain does not have to do the work. I equate this to having a web browser open with 100 tabs. If you had 100 tabs open on your computer, that computer is going to run slow, but if you were able to eliminate 99 of those 100 tabs, and now you just have one tab open, that computer will function better. This is the same thing with your brain. So there's different types of blue light blocking glasses. There are computer glasses that you would wear during the day when working with screens and under artificial light. There are light sensitivity glasses that you would also wear during the day with screens and artificial light. And then you have the blue light blocking glasses, which I wear at night, two to three hours before I go to bed, which promotes hormone health, helps your body produce melatonin, and aids in better sleep. My go-to is from Bon Charge. They have the science to back it up. They look super cool. The glasses come in non-prescription, prescription prescription and reading options. Glasses for every need. Bon Charge also has other amazing products such as low blue light bulbs, red light therapy devices, EMF slash 5G protection, and 100% blackout sleep mask that I take with me when I travel all the time. The greatest thing about them, all backed up by science. They gave Keto Camp podcast listeners a 15% off coupon code. All you need to do is head over to bondcharge.com slash Keto Camp and use the coupon code Keto Camp at checkout, no space in between to get 15% off your entire order. We'll drop that link down below along with the coupon code. Go check them out. And let's get back to this episode. I want to mention that exogenous ketones, look, there's a time and place for it. You don't use exogenous ketones to substitute doing the work. You do the work and get your metabolism and your cells and your body using and producing and using ketones. You use exogenous ketones. I use it and I teach it as like a brain nootropic turn the brain on. It could help with inflammation and exercise. So don't use it as something that's going to replace doing the work. I want to just make sure I've made that clear. But Kinetic is a clean source. And Mindy, I know that you don't like the taste of a lot of exogenous ketones. This one actually tastes pretty good okay. at sparkling water. That. So tastes pretty good. Okay. Questions from VIP. Deb is in Australia and is like probably, I don't know what, really early for her and she's on here. So Deb, I'm going to bring you on and you get ask Pampa and Mindy your question. Hey, Deb.
3: Hello. Good morning. Um, it's four o'clock in the morning. here. Wow. <laughs> I have two questions. The first one was one that we discussed in the lunchroom at work yesterday. Cause I give them an update every day on my sessions. Um, and we were talking about how, if you, if you start your day with breakfast, how you are really hungry after you've had breakfast, like you're ready for lunch. Where if you don't have breakfast and you leave it until, which I've been doing, leaving it till two in the afternoon, you're actually not even hungry. Some Sometimes I get so busy, I just forget to eat and I come home and I get home and I go, oh, my God, I'm so hungry. I'm so hungry. Where's the food? Um, so I just wonder why your body goes, OK, you've got food. Now you're really hungry. I can't understand that.
1: Mm-hmm. By the way, because that happens, that's what I do on my feast days. Because to your point, if I intermittent fast, if I don't eat breakfast in the morning and I'm trying to feast, it's very difficult for me to eat more in a small eating window. But if I get up and eat breakfast, then I want to eat a few hours later. And at the end of the day, I end up eating more. So the key to my feast day is, in fact, eating breakfast, to your point. Yeah, so the, the bottom line is, is that your body, when it's doing the right thing, is it's burning fat, and then that can in making ketones, and that controls hunger. So you don't get hunger, you don't get hungry, I should say. Um, but when you uh, when you do eat, that doesn't happen, right? So your body's in a burning mode, and therefore it doesn't shut off the hunger. So you're in a fasting state, and that's why you're losing your hunger. There's also an enzyme that gets produced uh, in that little fasted state that also controls appetite. So there's the answer. Thank you. I, because,
3: yeah, I'm, I'm really, really new to this whole way um, and learning lots and buying lots of books um, that are recommended. The other question I had, um, and I'll, I'll be a long way probably from doing this, is when you talk about doing long fasts, how do you get beyond the hunger? Because I can't imagine... Like I said, you know, I get to, you know, get home at 6.30 or something at night. I'm hungry. How mm-hmm. do you get, if you're going to do like a 24-hour fast, how do you get past that hunger?
1: Well, you know, the answer to, the, to your last one applies to this, right? So you start in that fasting state. You get deeper into the fasting state. Your body produces more of that enzyme called kinase, Your body starts to get even more efficient at using fat for energy. And then eventually... Uh, you start. You just stop losing hunger. By the way, most of that happens. You start to lose hunger, but appetite becomes the problem. Meaning, day two of a fast, right? You get hungry around the times that you're used to eating, yeah. right? And then, so I always say, keep busy. Like, let's say your first meal is at you know noon. Be very busy around noon because I promise you, for the first three days of a fast, you're going to get appetite around noon and want to eat. Right now, by Typically, by day four, you break through that and, you know, you leave that. And if you go into a deep autophagy sooner than that, then you might even lose that after day one or two, right? But yeah, you eventually get through it. Yeah.
2: Okay, thank
0: you. Mindy, you want to add anything to yeah, that? Yeah,
2: if there's a couple of things I would say. For starters, Deb, I love your books behind you. Yeah. <laughs> so that, as, a, as a fellow book fan, that's awesome. But here's the way that it, it, I think encompasses an answer to both of your questions, is we have to remember we have two energy systems. One where we make energy from the food we eat, and one in the absence of food, we burn fat to make energy. So when you've gone at least eight hours at that after a meal, what's happening is your body is starting to make a, that metabolic switch over into this fat burning place. At about 12 to 13 hours, it's kind of like over there now, you know, without food, like glucose has gone down enough, nutrients have gone down. So the body's like, okay, we're going to make some ketones now. And the longer you stay in this fat-burning state, the more healing happens and the more ketones typically start to rise. As ketones rise, ketones go up into the brain and they turn the hunger hormone off. So what I have noticed is that when people first come to fasting, yes, that switch is rusty. And their body's not quite, it hasn't used this fat burning system. If you've been eating breakfast and six meals a day, and you're not used to going to these longer places, you're now in this healing state That the body's like, whoa, like what's going on here? But it knows what to do. So the longer you stay in that healing state, then more ketones, more neurochemical changes to Pompas' point, you know, you stay there four days, the patterns break apart and you it becomes effortless and it becomes easier, which I think is so important because I've done, I feel like every eating plan on the planet, and I don't know any of them that get easier with time. Most of them, just you kind of, the discipline wears you down. But with fasting, the more we do it, the more our body gets used to it, the easier it becomes until there's sort of this fluidity to it. So know that that's what's coming down the road for you. The other thing I would say on that, why when you eat breakfast is now you're moving over to this fat-burning system. You eat breakfast and your body's like, boop, I'm right back at sugar burner. So it's going to take you some time you know, for your body in the sugar burner state after a couple of hours is going to be like, hey, are you hungry? Hey, you're hungry. You don't have ketones to turn it off. So you've just tapped right into the energy system that demands you keep eating in order to activate it.
0: Thank you, Deb. Great questions. Great answers as well. I love her commitment being in Australia at 4 a.m. She says the future looks bright, by the way. She's living ahead in the future and it looks bright.
2: Yeah, excellent. I know. I love (laughs) knowing what it's
3: going to look like.
0: We have have a few more minutes with uh, these two. So a couple questions here. Bonita Harris, who I believe is a chiropractor in Georgia, says, Dr. Pampa, I saw you at a three-day seminar in Atlanta with Dr. McCullough, Ben Greenfield, et cetera. When are you coming back to Atlanta? (laughs)
1: Gosh, we haven't done a seminar in Atlanta, right? Um, In a while. It was before I joined, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I think we need to come back to Atlanta. So we used to have more seminars there. Obviously, spent some time in Atlanta uh, years ago while going to chiropractic school. So love Atlanta. We'll come back.
0: There you go. It's on the radar now, Bonita. Bonita has another question for both of you. If we are finished with a fast, now eating keto-like, is there any value in drinking a scoop of exogenous ketone salts to elevate or keep up ketones in the system?
1: Yeah, you know, like that. I I use it as a biohack, right? You know, where um, you know you can just hey, I want to just throw my ketone levels up, right? And that might be a good biohack periodically to do before exercise. Obviously, could be a biohack, but That's how I use them as well.
2: I feel like I've used them with people when they're just that metabolic switch is a little rusty. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, okay, you're at 12 hours, you're hungry, you're not really sure what's going on. You could throw a little bit of exogenous ketones in there every once in a while. I wouldn't do it daily, and it'll move you over and you'll get the ketones will kill hunger and it typically lets you fast a little longer. So I think of them, they can be used as like training wheels, like fasting training wheels. But at some point, you're going to take the training wheels off. So don't get too addicted to them because then your body will never make that switch on its own.
0: Well said. Great. Okay, next question is, um, Deb says, come to Oz, Australia. We're working on that. We, our tour will get there eventually. Michelle Stone, 63 years old, postmenopausal, Breast implants in 1991, had them removed this year in May. So 2022 in wow. May. I was diagnosed with kidney cancer, had one kidney removed, clear cell carcinoma in 2020. Kidney markers have increased slowly and are in good place. No reoccurrence as of 12, 2022. I'm looking at getting Asana to, uh, to aid in detoxing. I am learning about ketosis and blood sugar, et cetera, with the ultimate goal of letting go of my insulin resistance and adopting a keto lifestyle. Question, is there... One other thing I can focus on at this time to aid me in moving my health journey forward since beginning this challenge. I'm down 2.8 pounds. Awesome, Michelle. So yeah. what would you say?
1: Yeah,, well, she needs cellular detox. Uh, you know, you have to understand. I mean, the, the good job by the way, um, obviously you researched enough to understand that yeah, the breast implants have a lot of different toxicities associated with them, from heavy metals to hidden infections, mold, all of it. Uh, the body knows that they're there, and obviously it's a matter of time before it starts to create immune problems. But just because you remove them doesn't mean you haven't loaded your tissues with uh, in cells with a lot of different toxins. So, uh, yes, you, you need my cellular detox work for sure. Yeah.
2: And I would say make sure you've run a Dutch test on yourself. And you know, I think every woman should run a Dutch test and know where those hormones are breaking down and the levels are. And then you can you can work a, a plan accordingly. So I just, yeah, a Dutch test is a lifesaver. So know where your hormones are at.
0: Great. Dutch test and real detox. We spoke about real detox on Tuesday. So watch the session, Michelle, if you missed that. But you're on the right track. Good job. Bonita, does anyone have any positive experience with cinnamon to help insulin resistance? Number one. Number two, does fasting help remove mycotoxins from the body?
2: Good,
1: Minnie, I'll let you go
0: first. Yeah,
2: I, yeah I, I'm like, cinnamon. I mean, it's kind of like one of those things that's like, try it. You're just going to have to try it for your own. You know, it's like apple cider vinegar. We get asked that all the time. These are all really interesting hacks. Try it and see if it works. Again, we're looking, you know, for the absolute answer. Test it on yourself. Test it on your blood sugar and see. Uh, and what was the second question?
0: Does fasting yeah. help remove
2: mycotoxins,
0: mold spores?
2: It's kind of a yes and no. You know, in one hand, you create an environment in your body that the immune system can do what it needs to do to get rid of those spores. But having said that, I would say in the people that I've worked with, that you're some, you need something else. You need like a, you know, like the detox. Protocols that Pompa has teach is teaching, and the um, the supplements he's created. Like you, sometimes you need a little more. It just depends. But you know, again, if we come in with a supplement, we also have to remember that we're still trying to create an environment in which the body can heal. So just because you take a pill to get rid of a mycotoxin doesn't mean that you don't do the work to change the yeah. environment so that the mycotoxin can't come back. You know, it depends if you're living in the moldy home or or what.
1: Yeah, look, um, on the cinnamon, I, I think, look, I, you know, just like anything, it might help, right? But there's an upstream causative factor you have to get to. So it's bad not to get to the cause. As far as the mycotoxin goes, yeah, I mean, look, there's it's not that simple, right? Just do a fast because these mycotoxins, aka biotoxins, get deep into the tissue. Um, and they oftentimes, during a fast, will be mobilized. And then they end up in the liver. And then they bind to bile. They get dumped in the gut and they just get brought right back around. It's called auto-intoxication. That way, that's why when neurotoxic people fast, many of them do very poorly. Uh, It's because of this toxin recirculation. One of the things we add is bind. Just take some bind uh, in the fast and it can grab that toxic biocomplex in the gut and pull it out. So that seems to help those people. Uh, of that auto-retoxication. So guys, the sun here is just coming off the ocean and hitting me in the <laughs> eyes. So if I'm squinting and closing my eyes, this is why. Uh, but it's a nice view. <laughs> Hor- hormesis, Dr. Pompa, Hormesis. Yes. <laughs> One last quick question for
0: you both. And on the cinnamon thing, yeah, I, I agree. Do the work, but as you do the work, it could be a viable <laughs> option. I, I've seen some studies that show it actually helps with the cell sensitivity for insulin, but you got to do it in combination with keto, fasting, et cetera. The final question is from Tammy Lawbacher, who works with Dr. Boz, actually. She's also a speaker and doing great work. She says, metabolic flexibility is the goal, but those of us that have major damage from chemo and medications and awful insulin resistance, do we still need to cycle in and out? Or do we wait and step out after we have healed our, our damage and have a better mitochondria and metabolism?
1: Well, look, you, you find a variation. But by the way, you again, this I speak this to anyone who is toxic in general, and that's basically what you just described, right? A level of toxicity makes uh, metabolic flexibility very, very difficult because the damage of the cell and the mitochondria. So the principle still applies. You just have to find what works for you. Uh, so you might not be able to do high carbohydrates as a diet variation, healthy carbohydrates. You may have to do higher protein, right? It's just one example. Or Maybe your feast days look more like higher calories, right? Mm -hmm. Eating more meals that day. There's multiple ways to vary the diet and still have the premise of hormesis apply. So that's what I would do if I were you. Great.
2: Yeah, I would agree. And I think that we also, you know, have to look at the fact that, you know, your body is going to constantly be in a state of, of change, and so that's what you're trying to do with all of these principles: is constantly is flow with with that change. There's not I don't have a ton to add to that, other than I think we the principles in here are pretty solid as far as us, you know that variation piece is what nobody's talking about that the body adapts in that variation. So just keep that in mind.
0: Awesome. Okay. As we wrap this up for you two, last final question. You could be quick with your answer. Dr. Pampa, vitamin G, what is your daily dose today? What are you grateful for?
1: <laughs> this view, <laughs> being <laughs> here, being able to be here. Yes, I love it. I've been working from here uh, all week. So awesome. Beautiful. Mindy, vitamin G.
2: Uh, well, you know, I have to, my vitamin G right now is we just put this book out into the world and it's been a huge hit. I mean, the reviews have been incredible. And so I'm just grateful for people that have, are grabbing the principle. I actually had a really cool opportunity yesterday to talk to a group of doctors. Uh, it was hospital rounds at a major hospital. Wow. And they brought me on to educate the doctors and the nurse practitioners awesome. about fasting. And I, it was like this breakthrough moment where I was like, I've been trying to reach you guys. Like, I'm trying to get this information to you, and these doctors were so open that they were in the chat. A couple of them even said, "Well, we got to get the dietitians to pull off the food pyramid chart off of the the walls." And it was like, it was like a breakthrough moment for healthcare when we've got doctors coming together to understand fasting. So, I surely am grateful for that.
1: That's Here, I mean. decided to share my gratitude with you. Oh, okay, nice. That is epic right there. So, this morning there were whales out there. Oh, uh, a,
2: we don't hoping, get that in Miami. I,
1: I was hoping to see um, one here now because they kind of go all day up and down that. But yeah, so. Look at that. Yeah, yeah it's awesome, right?
0: Well, yeah, it is yeah. awesome. Uh, Dr. Pompa and Mindy, we've got so much vitamin G for you too. Honestly, like. <laughs> I feel so grateful for both of you and I continuously learn from you too and I love you both and I can't wait to share another stage with you. So thank you for taking the time to educate our group here today and you both could feel free to sign off and go about your day, but thank you so much for being here. Your- thank you. Have
2: a great
1: day, everybody. Yeah, love y'all. Bye.
0: Well, there you have it. That was an incredible conversation. I really hope you got so much from it. Again, you can watch the video version of today's interview on the YouTube channel, which is youtube.com KetoCamp. Go follow Dr. Pompa, Dr. Mindy on their social media, their YouTube, their websites. All that could be found down below. Go get Mindy's book. Go get Pompa's book. We'll put that down below as well, including timestamps and notes with from today's conversation and consider sharing this episode with a friend, somebody you know who could really change their life and their health by listening to this conversation. Please consider leaving the Keto Camp podcast a rating and review. And a reminder: our upcoming seven-day free seven-day keto challenge is just a few days away. And if you want to take a deep dive into keto fasting, carnivore, thyroid health, uh, insulin resistance, metabolic challenges, and so much more, join us. It's free. We have Dr. Ken Berry, Dr. Jason Fung, Dr. Baz, and myself leading the way. It's going to be an awesome, awesome seven-day challenge, and it's completely free. Not to mention, or to mention, uh, we are giving away over $20,000 in free prizes. Head over to KetoCampChallenge.com to sign up or click the link in the podcast notes below. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I'll see you on the next episode. This podcast is for information purposes only. Statements and views expressed on this podcast are not medical advice.